Hey, podcast listeners, Mackenzie here. I wanted to personally thank you for listening and being a part of our community. We couldn't do this show without you. As we shape the next series of the Living Centered Podcast, I wanted to invite you specifically to help us out. We want to hear from you. We're currently in the process of curating a series all around exploring the relationships that make up our lives. Together with various experts, clinicians, and on-site alum, we'll explore the nuances, intricacies, and impact of the relationships within which we all exist. From families of origin to friendships, dating, working relationships, and beyond. We hope to host conversations with guests who bring a definitive and unique perspective. This is where you come in. We want to know your pressing relationship questions. You can submit your questions to podcast at experienceonsite.com and you might just hear an answer on our next series. One thing that often seems to come up in the work I do in teams, organizations, what have you, is an aversion to feedback that seems to perpetuate dysfunction and ineffectiveness in our teams, distrust of avoidance of conflict, ambiguous relationships with how committed we are to actually getting the work done, not actually driving results, like all because there's an idea that feedback is bad, or I don't want to hear something that makes me look bad, or I'm taking excessive responsibility for someone else's feelings. Like, what, what if feedback is just neutral data? What if feedback is just an opportunity for us to return to integrity? And what if we invite people or we gift people with an opportunity to reflect their own experience to us and we get to be in choice with what we do with it? Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. I'm your host, Nicole Ingram. And I'm your host, Hannah Warren. Welcome back to another episode of the Living Centered Podcast. Today, Janet and I connect with Didier Sylvain, LA-based life alignment coach, leadership trainer, and creative healing practitioner. Didier Sylvain is one of those people who is committed to leaving this place better than the way they found it. And we are so grateful to have been able to learn a little bit about how he's doing that. Today's purpose is to create and hold transformative learning space for people to acknowledge, claim, and step into their power so that they too might bring their best gifts to the world. Janet and I were so inspired by this conversation. We felt so encouraged. We really didn't want it to end, and you do not want to miss this. There is so much to learn from Didier's leadership and presence. I believe you will be inspired. You will be encouraged. I could go on and on. I think we should just dive right into this conversation. So please welcome our friend Didier Sylvain. Hello, friends. We are here with Didier Sylvain. He is a certified life alignment coach and facilitator in leadership and personal development. Didier is a friend I met in New York City 
on a random Friday night. We were at a studio creating artwork for no reason but for the sake of creating. It was such a great time. We were just choosing to play and fiddle around with mark making with this incredible artist and calligrapher named David Chang. I was so inspired and impressed by Diddy's presence when I met him. And then fast forward during COVID mid-pandemic, he led a group of creatives on a virtual journey called Creating Through Crisis. I was seriously impacted by that offering. And so I've just been digging into Diddy's work as of late and saw the parallel between what we're doing at Onsite and what he is up to. So welcome, Didier. We are so honored and grateful to have you with us today. Thank you. um, Thank you so much for the sweet and gracious welcome. I appreciate it. We're so grateful. And we also have our VP of Strategy and Business Services, Janet McDonald, here today with us to undergird our conversation with her expertise in leadership development and all the knowledge that she has from her wealth of experience in business consulting. So welcome, Janet. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And I am excited to learn from Didier. Me too. Well, we get to learn. We get to learn. I mean, naturally, this is where I say we get to learn from each other, right? That's <laughs> yes. right. That's right. Yes. <laughs> so, Didier, if you would just kind of kick us off by sharing with us a little bit about your story, if you wouldn't mind just kind of telling us where you've been, where you are, all the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Happy to. Thank you. Um, and thanks again for the invitation. I'm really excited. Mm-hmm. I, I sense lots of synergies with what yes. we're up to in the world. And so... I'm hopeful yeah. that whoever engages this conversation will will hear something new, will leave willing to try something new, and maybe discover something about themselves in the process. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm DDA. I'm a leadership trainer, life alignment coach. As you mentioned, Nicole, I'm I'm based in Los Angeles, born and raised in New York. I'm the child of Haitian immigrants. Um, my life's calling is to create and hold transformative learning space for progressive, creative individuals and groups to step into their power and give their gifts to this world in service mm-hmm. of the collective optimal good. That's what lights me up. That's what activates me. And um, it looks like coaching and training and speaking and writing. And I love all those things. Mm-hmm. And I pinch myself that I get to do those things Thanks. for a living. Since I love it so much. And and yeah, I'm I'm happy to every now and then receive invitations to have conversations with others that are interested in how we draw out the leadership capacity in others to make their greatest contribution mm-hmm. to the world. My understanding is that y'all are up to that. And um, with the sensitivity to the whole human. Yeah. And yeah, happy to share more, of course, but that's mm-hmm. a maybe a high level beginning brushstroke or two. Yeah, Didier, I'd love to ask you uh, to go a little further back because I think we might share something in common in terms of our background. Um, so tell Please. me, I'll just go back a little bit more to maybe when you were involved in uh, corporate America, just yeah. a second, and what that experience was like and what really was your inflection point or turning point to say, mm. hmm, maybe there's something else I ought to be doing. Yeah, yeah. So I, I love talking about inflection points. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Janet. So um, in a way, part of my work is supporting folks to to recognize their own and to curate future ones, so to speak. So, so, so in college, I studied economics, philosophy, and music. And I mention that because that 
gives a sense of what might be described as kind of a cliche left brain, right brain situation. So that situation makes sense to me. <laughs> um, and, and I do approach everything as a creative opportunity. I do find myself often navigating both like strategic modes of being and also spiritual modes of being. Maybe there's a space between spirit and strategy that I find myself navigating mm -hmm. often yeah. with folks. And my first exposure to this thing called leadership development, you know, which we can talk about generally, was in my early 20s. I participated in a fellowship program that changed my life. It was called Coro. Um, it is called Coro, still exists. And in that nine-month fellowship experience where I had a coach for the first time and was in a cohort of other folks practicing coaching with each other, um, learning about consulting and social impact, my trainer said something that stuck with me. She said, leaders develop leaders. And it's so elementary in a way of an idea. It's mm. so simple, yet it, it exploded my brain. And I've been pursuing that promise ever since in a way. I had this idea that I would change the world by changing the government. <laughs> and so I, I worked <laughs> with for Deloitte. I worked for Deloitte for a few years in their management consulting practice and their, in their federal practice and um, fell in love with some coaching work, facilitation work there. I was learning about client service generally and learned that I, I did and do value service. It's a, actually a deep value of mine. It's something that I could mm -hmm. say I probably learned from my um, mother more than anyone else. I learned about pragmatism from my dad, uh, among other mm. things. Um, <laughs> and, and, Not um, bad to have both of those. Yeah, I was going to say I, good you know, combo, I, honestly. Yeah, they could they could work together. A little um, pinch of both. But yeah, so so after some years working in Deloitte, falling in love with just service-oriented guidance, <laughs> found myself falling more and more in love with coaching. I worked in philanthropy for a few years for a social entrepreneurship foundation in New York called Echoing Green. And there, as I was supporting social entrepreneurs, leading institutions around the world, wanting to make change, I often noticed that those leaders were often the bottlenecks of the changes they wanted to see, among other things, not to neglect structural conditions. <laughs> and sure. it seemed to me that there's another half to this thing called maybe skill-based oriented leadership training, like how are we mobilizing ourselves so we can more effectively mobilize others? Um, and so I started, there started to be a, uh, another side to the type of coaching and training I was doing. Um, I worked for a boutique consultancy, like leadership training consultancy based out of Brooklyn, Park Slope, named Good Wolf Group. Learned a lot from a colleague and mentor, Xander Grashow, who uh, believed in me and my capacity to uh, mm. coach and train and facilitate. Yeah. And I found a confidence to pursue coaching full time. And I started my own practice um, a few years later. And, uh, and here I am working with you all in an exploratory conversation. I love that. That's so great. Two things came to mind as soon as, uh, while you were talking, is that at OnSite, one of our core beliefs is that you become a better leader, better partner, better everything when mm -hmm. you become a better human. And focusing yeah. on becoming a better human is sort of the foundational component of it, right? And then the other thing that you said that we, we also strongly believe is the thing that is called leadership development now sort of misses the development component mm -hmm. and very much focuses on leadership behaviors or leadership mm. 
learning without the true transformational development. And it sounds like you spend a lot of your time coaching the people you coach on that development, changing their mindsets and freeing up sort of maybe some uh, history that they're carrying within that is no longer true or no longer serving them. Mm. Yeah, for example. Yeah, thank you for that. Yes, I mean, I, I often strive for supporting folks to build their muscles to be in development continually. And what if we could experience the rate of development as we did when we were four or five years old? Like, Mm -hmm. how about that? What might that, what consequence might that have on how we lead, what impact we make, how we partner and collaborate, how we create? So yes. (laughs) And what are some of the skills and ways of being involved for us to think in questions and to lead with wonder and curiosity and to mm. to be mindful of where we mistake assumptions we make for assertions we make and you know these types mm. of things that create conditions for development to continue as a lifelong mm. mode of driving change so Sounds like we're talking the same language. I like it. Yes. We are talking the same language. We are. I love the uh, assessments. <laughs> you know, I love the concept of assessments for, versus assertions and that most of us, so assessments being opinions and sort of assumptions and assertions being facts that can be verified by a third party, right? Mm. Is this room large? Well, what's our standard for large and can it be verified for somebody else versus mm assessments we may have of each other or ourselves, I'm not enough, I'm too much, whatever that is, which is not verifiable by a third party, and who set the standard for too much, not enough, and who are you allowing to make that assessment? And the challenge is that we live those assessments as if they are assertions, and what does that do for us, as if they are facts, and many of us live our lives that way, me included, but I love that work and concept of getting people to stop and say, is this factual or where did I pick this up? Uh, and, yeah. and do I own that or not? Yeah. Certitude. I think certitude is kind of dangerous. Um, and I think you probably both would agree. And Didier, I love one of the, one of your approaches is definitely to move towards all the people that you're working with, with curiosity, you ask really good questions, really juicy questions. And I love um, when we were kind of exploring this conversation, you talked about, can we have a visionary conversation? Can we ask the question, like, not just what kind of people do we want to be, but what, what kind of world do we want to live in? Would you like to unpack kind of the way you think about sort of what's possible and maybe reverse engineer from there? I feel like you just opened up a whole universe, uh, Nicole. So uh, thank you for that. Um, no, in a good way, in a good way. We want okay, universes good. open. So who wants a closed yeah. universe? Um, so maybe some people do. Uh, so I, I feel compelled to start by saying certitude can be dangerous. This is what I heard you allude to. And one reason why I maybe will invite a little possible nuance is um, I've, I have a sense that part of what we get to do in our, in our work is not shy away from conviction. And maybe there's a distinction between conviction yeah, and certainty where we're talking about it. And, and I say that because to talk about like vision as one of the, the, the greatest privileges of being alive and human, like we get to name the worlds we want to inhabit um, for ourselves and for the planet and for our teams and communities and institutions. And 
Um, how willing are we to get after that on a regular basis and enroll others into it? My sense is most of the folks that you all support and most of the folks I support, they're more interested in creating change around them and in the world. And maybe they stand for something that they feel more is possible, like stand for justice or stand for freedom or stand for something. And, and it takes conviction on a regular basis to get after one's vision or dream or project or whatever. And so I want to live in a world where people are willing to get in touch with what they long for most deeply for the collective good and to be willing to stand and fight for it with conviction, which looks differently for everyone. And for me, uh, it looks like just institutions around the world, organizations around the world, centering learning and how they function and how they operate um, and doing everything we can to ensure that all people have access to the resources they need to give their gifts to the collective, be it for a Fortune 500 company or be it for a social justice movement or anything. So support for people to access what they need, to access the resources within them, prioritizing learning within our institutions and communities, getting after our visions with conviction are things that excite me. And I get excited when others are willing to, to put their, to be at stake, basically, to be willing to take a risk for something larger than themselves, generally. Didier, when, you're, when you talk about that, wh- how would you relate that to sort of what gets in individuals' ways or organizations' ways? So, for instance, is it that I'm a unique observer and as a result I, I see the world as I am, not as it is? And if I'm willing to open up that observer, uh, that opens up possibilities. Mm. Is it that or is it a combination of I've got two competing sort of parties and I say I want this and I honestly want this, but deep inside of me is this other party that I'm not sort of may not even recognize just yet, but if I did, I would Mm. Say that they are. We have these competing parties, and they are fighting each other, and therefore change is not possible. Or is it all of that and more? Yeah. Thank you for just those examples too. Yeah. I mean, all of that and more, probably. Um, so, so yeah. So thank, thank you for that. Um, yeah, and I'd be interested to hear both of your thoughts on this too. Right? What do you observe mm-hmm. with the folks that you support that? often seems to be a challenge or a tension that folks want to get through and or they're not even aware of that's standing in the way between themselves and their visions. I would say yes to all of that. And I hear you talking about self-awareness, Janet. And it seems to me that most, so I'm going to make an assertion now. Here's a risky assertion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I love it. We're in the game. (laughs) Okay. Most humans are not as self-aware as they think they are. And uh, we're largely, nodding for the listeners, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm realizing it's just quiet. We are all nodding. Yes. <laughs> and, and look, like, as, as, you know, as someone who, who I, I, I claim to be uh, making effort regularly to be aware of my patterns and how I show up and the impact I have, like, I, I know that I know a lot less <laughs> about my impact than um, is available. And unless I'm willing to actually actively create conditions and cultures and practices for feedback, I'll likely continue to be out of the know of, of how I'm showing up and what impact I'm having in the world as a 
leader or whatever position one might have. And so I'm saying one thing that often seems to come up in the work I do in teams, organizations, what have you, is an aversion to feedback that seems to perpetuate dysfunction and ineffectiveness in our teams, distrust, of avoidance of conflict, ambiguous relationships with how committed we are to actually getting the work done, not actually driving results, like all because there's an idea that feedback is bad, or I don't want to hear something that makes me look bad, or I'm taking excessive responsibility for someone else's feelings. Like, what, what if feedback is just neutral data? What if feedback is just an opportunity for us to return to integrity? And what if we invite people or we gift people with an opportunity to reflect their own experience to us and we get to be in choice with what we do with it? So one, like I'm very much interested in, in I, I believe that feedback is more than a skill. I think it's in a practice. I believe it actually is at the heart of you know, leadership effectiveness and cultures. Yep. But I guess I'll pause there because that's just one thing. But there, it's a, it's a large question. Mm. What seems to get it is in the way. a large question. Just, when you go into an organization, if you're one on one with an individual and talking about feedback, the it's easier to maybe maybe I'm making that up in my mind. It's easier to sort of help them go back to the first time they received negative feedback and mm. w- you know what did that do to them. Or how did it make them feel? And as a result, how does that drive their behavior moving forward? When you're in an organization with a team, maybe it's a similar approach, but have you found anything to be super successful for them to open up and go, oh, wait a minute, this is not as threatening. I don't have Mm. to be as protective here. Mm. I'm not the 12-year-old or the 10-year-old or the 8-year-old who, you know, and I don't these are not the people who did that to me. And so is there any of that that you find in your work that comes up? Yeah, that's, um, I just appreciate the tenderness of that question Mm -hmm. and empathetic attitude. (laughs) That's how I experience it. So yeah, you know, you know, we often say, uh, I, I imagine you all have conversations about this and explore this too, that trust is the foundation of any effective partnering, right. Or Mm -hmm. collaboration or work (laughs) um, that involves other humans. And so mm-hmm. um, if we want people to surrender their armor, uh, maybe that's too strong language. If we want people to open up the possibility yeah. of like hearing something new from a colleague <laughs> um, and, and being more effective as a result, mm-hmm. then we get to just foster connection continually yeah. over and yeah. over again. As humans, to your point, as, as people who share a common vision, yeah. which is not a given. Like I, I, I find that most so many organizations and institutions I work with, the propensity and just magnitude of people being treated as resources and cogs in a wheel and right. relationships are transactional, yeah. not transformative. Yeah. And, you know, all these ways that actually people are totally, you ask them, like, what's the vision? Like, where are you all headed in the next six months? Like, yeah. I don't know. I just know that I'm supposed to send this report or I don't know. I'm just supposed like, and like, whoa, like what, like, and why? Like for the sake of what? And what does that connect? So long one way of saying I, I believe it's it's really important for us to create different ways people can experience connection that allow them to be open to, as I put it earlier, being in greater integrity because they're hearing about what their impact is and how there may be a gap between that and their intention, which sometimes involves connecting around a shared vision. It sometimes might be around just connecting as human beings and like and just starting our meetings 
not waiting once a quarter to hire an external facilitator, which I'm happy to always do, of course. Mm. Um, like what? <laughs> that's what it's aligned. To come in and do like the five day retreat thing. Again, happy to do that. And like, how do we how do we normalize right the way that we foster connection to create conditions mm-hmm. for trust in our day to day working environments? Yeah. Hey, friends. I want to talk to you a minute about emotionally smart leadership. If you're a leader, you're likely up against more stress and overwhelm than ever. And the truth is, you need more than traditional leadership theories to continue to lead your team towards a healthier, more connected culture. You need more sustainable, integrated approaches to leadership and to life. The problem with traditional leadership models is that they only focus on achieving external results. They help leaders do really helpful things like address productivity and unsuccessful talent management. But what they don't address are the emotional components of leadership. And that's the very core of what keeps leaders from success. When compounding stress and overwhelmed are left unmanaged, it's super difficult for leaders to increase their capacity and lead well. Without emotional intelligence at the heart of your leadership and at your organization, your success is at risk. Compounding stress makes it hard to operate in your strengths. Your capacity as a leader feels restricted. Workplace culture issues persist. Employees feel disconnected. Turnover is high. Retention is low. It goes on and on, but ultimately business results are suffering. After equipping thousands of leaders across diverse industries through our in-person programs, we started to realize that something needed to shift in the leadership industry. That's why we developed this brand new framework to integrate emotional wellness into your leadership, your team, and your culture. This framework may sound familiar to you because earlier this year, we launched an online course called Emotionally Smart Leadership that taught you this framework and how to incorporate it into your leadership and your organization so that you can enhance your capacity, collaborate better with your teams, and drive business results. We got such amazing feedback around this framework and how you're already implementing it and seeing the change in your cultures that we want to make it more available to you in your organizations. You may have heard Janet mention this episode, the new business consulting services division that OnSite has. Led by Janet, this new service line offers keynotes and consulting and coaching and an emotionally smart leadership workshop in your space with your team. The business services consulting team, along with members of our clinical staff, are coming to you to provide emotionally smart leadership to your team. That means for a couple of days, you can get our team with your organization helping you understand and implement this framework that will ultimately help you drive results. We are so excited about this new offering that we are finally able to bring our emotional expertise into the leadership space, an industry that is so desperate for emotional wellness and internal transformation. We believe that if you want an emotionally healthy culture and organization, it has to start with emotionally healthy leaders. I've seen firsthand the work that Janet and her team are doing to transform workplace cultures. Emotional wellness isn't just some nice to have that we all aspire in our businesses. It is actually something that's necessary to have healthy teams and a healthy company. If you're interested in having our business consulting services team along with our clinical team come to you and help your team understand and integrate emotionally smart leadership, we would love to connect with you further. You can send us an email at hello at onsiteworkshops.com and we'll get you connected so you can learn more about next steps. This ties so beautifully into our OnSite's Emotionally Smart Leadership Framework. And I think you're talking about connectedness. 
in sort of in this sort of macro way, right, connected to other people in an organization, in a team. But I also think there is argument to be made for just needing to be connected to yourself. And I think mm. starting from that that inner work, that inside out work, kind of Janet, to your point you were making earlier, the inner transformation that ends up kind of animating the work that is that is outside. And so when you're connected to yourself, then you're able to communicate from a place of connectedness. Which therefore, you know, we know we know how this goes, right? Then we're connected to others. Then we feel sort of able to move toward one another with curiosity because the stakes aren't the stakes don't feel so high. The barrier of entry isn't so high when it's like, hey, I have a question about how why you might have done this or why did you why did you make that that move? I'm so curious because there's there's that trust that you're talking about that we can give to one another as opposed to just sort of we earn trust from one another, but actually we give the gift of I trust you. I see you. I don't know. I just think there's, I think that empathy piece is really connected to the empathy and vulnerability. Obviously, you just, you just brought up the armor metaphor. And I actually, I love that. And I I always think of it now from a, instead of like a medieval sort of imagery, I think of Brene Brown sort of like taking off almost like a turtle shell, like, okay, let's get our soft bellies up, um, (laughs) up against one another. So we can actually start having real conversations. And I love I love the way you framed all that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank it's you. Beautiful. Yeah. I often talk about shells. I mean, we, we can use all the metaphors, you know, the metaphors yeah. work. Some, some metaphors work for some folks and other times, like, not always. Forget the yeah. metaphors. Just keep it, just keep it plain. Like, just, <laughs> too, your language is so flowery. I can do both. But yeah, like, I, three shells that I often talk about that we get to uh, break through, so to speak, and maybe talking about shells in this season might be useful as we're just thinking about spring but yeah some striving is a is a certain tendency i find that's common in the so-called west or or where we we revere a hyper productive ways of being and overachievement is celebrated more than anything else type a tendencies where we might be bulldozing over our people just to accomplish something because i am my accomplishments is one form of a shell or armor that I often see and we notice. And so we get to create some space for folks not to over-identify with achievement. That doesn't mean we don't get things done. They're just like, how are we in relationship with it? And then there's a couple of two other shells I often talk about is um, stubbornness, <laughs> where you know we, we often hide behind our ideas. You know more about what someone thinks than you do about who they are. And shyness, some of the people-pleasing stuff, the parts of us that um, over-identify with Um, what others think of us, you know? So, yeah, I mean, whatever metaphors we need to invite folks to be aware of their self-limiting patterns, let's use them. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. When you think about sort of the statistics that we could go through ad nauseum, highest rate of depression, highest rate of anxiety, highest rate of burnout, highest rate of suicide, highest rate of all of that happening combined with the work environments that you are in, in which they're challenged to get their growth. They have some productivity issues, likely. They have some innovation issues. How do you stand in terms of does a organization, does a corporate entity really have a responsibility and what is the benefit? Because we believe they do of moving into the emotional side of the organization and not treating individuals like they are resources. These are humans 
And these humans have emotions, and we don't leave emotions at the door, really. They're there. And if one individual on the team has an emotional challenge or a mental health challenge, the team has a mental health challenge. It is impacting the team, whether people stop to recognize it or not and want to verbalize it or not. So how have you been successful in terms of getting them to open that aperture of understanding emotions are here <laughs> and we can work with these to the benefit of all? Yeah, amazing. So, yeah, maybe this is part of just the process of the patriarchy dying, maybe. But I, I would say that... I often think about relationship and, and our capacity for relating generally and our capacity to get things done as two wings of a bird, so to speak. <laughs> like we need both, right? We need to be in conscious relationship and effective relationship and we need to drive results in order to be effective. Mm, and, like and if we're not actually bringing along our emotional body consciously, if we're not actually aware of, of that dimension of being, then we're likely not being effective and, and likely not driving the results we want. And we're probably not in our relationships aren't as effective as we think. So, you know, the great philosopher, Bruce Lee, he says, uh, he, he talks about, thank you. Maybe I'll heard this. Uh, maybe I'll heard this. He, he, he's like just the resident philosopher of my life. He, he often says that emotions, it's, it's energetic content, you know, it's just, it's content <laughs> and we get to steward it. We get to be in conscious relationship with it. It's energy. And energy longs to circulate. And if we're not attending to what the energetic presences or emotional presences of ourselves or our people, it's a missed opportunity to consciously move, right? Our people or energy or... So one way I think about this and talk about this with the organizations I work with is, one, like if you want to if you want to drive results and expand your impact, we got to look at how we're in relationship generally and what's the what's the emotional domain that's part of that. And what does it mean to be competent <laughs> in that in that regard, which often requires some coachability? So it seems to me that maybe this is another one of your C's. Coachability seems to be required um, often for folks to be in more active conscious relationship with their emotional life and their life around them. Yeah, we like you feel like emotions get thing in mo get things in motion. And so Energy and motion. how do we sort of harness that, right? And then as we are in motion, how do we get the team all working, all excited, all behind wherever we're going, as you said, and understanding where that is and that that destination has meaning for mm. whoever happens to be working on it critically. Yeah, I mean, if we're thing. not, you know, the the talk about impact, right? Like. Anytime any of us walks into a room, we're having impact, right? No matter what. So, you know, sometimes I hear people say, I want to be more impactful or I just impact as, as important. And I'm just like, okay, what, what do you mean by that? You're having impact. Like, so is your impact aligned or with your vision or not? Like, that's the question. And, and usually we get to learn about how our emotions might be leaking out <laughs> and mm. causing impact that is not aligned with our vision. Like our emotional life is leaking out. If we're not aware of it, about the resentment you're holding about that colleague or the fear you have about launching that new project or product or whatever, it's leaking out and, and squandering your leadership and your impact. So I think it's so important, the work that you all are doing to um, support folks to be in greater competent relationship with their emotions 
because otherwise uh, folks are likely undermining their leadership. Well, we love that you're doing the work you're doing too. When you say coachable and coachability, Um, what do you think are some key characteristics that make somebody coachable? Yeah, thanks for that. What a nice, uh, great question. Um, for to me, I think it's a great question. It's, it's an important one that I think about a lot. Um, so much so that I lead programs just all about <laughs> <laughs> all about it. So fancy that. So fancy that. So most simply, most simply, I would say a, a willingness to hear something new. I would say, and in a way, it's it's maybe related to what I said earlier at the start of this conversation. You know, I, I said my greatest hope is for those listening to this conversation, they hear something new, they um, are they they leave willing to try something new, um, and that they discover something about themselves in the process. So I would say a listening capacity to hear something new. I would say a, a spirit of experimentation, so willingness to try something new, and I would say self responsibility, so a willingness. I'm going to use a technical term here. A willingness to own your own shit, I would say, <laughs> right. is, co- is, an, is an expression of, of coachability. There's a lot yes. more to say. About, I think there's a lot in that, by the way. Um, but the, those, those are a few uh, ABCs, <laughs> I would say. Of course, a lot, <laughs> lot more goes into it. Yeah. I'm just thinking about the nature of accountability. My, in my son's room, I have a little, he's a three-year-old. I have a little flag up that says, own it. And it's on his closet. And I'm like, let's start this conversation now. Like, did Mm. you do that? Let's say more. Mm. Why? Let's let's own Mm. the things that we do. Let's own the impact that we're making, right? You just so beautifully articulated that we're all making impact. The question is, are we making the kind of impact that we intend to? Are our values Mm. aligned with the kind of footing that we are are having in the world? Mm. I'm thinking about those attributes of coachability, and I'm thinking about them in tandem with creativity, because I think those seem to be requisites for being able to kind of like inhabit that space. So would you like to kind of explore that, that world with us? Yeah. Let's forget kind of, yeah, let's explore it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I, let's go. Let's go. Yeah. I mean, uh, this is something we all, we share what a gift, right? Here we are alive human beings with the gift of conscious choice. Like we get to, we get to, and the great, uh, Tony Morrison, among other things, I think I've, I've heard describe freedom in this way, that, that freedom is actually have, being free to choose what I am responsible for. Like, whoa. Wow. So, yes, I know this is something that is dear to, to both of you and the work you all do. We get to support, fo- if we're interested in creativity, we get to bring awareness continually on what takes us out of conscious choice into reactive modes of being. So much of coachability, I find, and coaching, and, and self, even self-coaching or self-leadership, as I often talk about, is a willingness and skillfulness and being in choice rather than our default patterns or, I'll say, trauma responses, for example. And what else is creativity but that? But just being in choice, to me, is like the simplest, most accessible way to be in relationship with it. You don't have to be an artist to be a creative. You don't have to be whatever. Like we all have this gift and how are we seeding, seeding choice in our comrades and our colleagues and our coworkers and our employees. Like how are we inviting them to recognize the choice that's available to them in alignment with our visions. So they own it as Nicole's putting it 
um, all, and, and bringing all of their genius. Because there's genius that longs to flow through our people. There's a, there's a genius within our institutions that is only possible when we seed choice fully. That doesn't mean that, I feel like I'm preaching for a moment. Um, but no, I'm, I, I'm about I, I to say I amen. <laughs> I, I just, I'm, I'm glad that we get to normalize creativity in some of these ways mm, in, in yeah. the institutions communities we work with. What has been your sort of, without the story of the individual or detail you don't want to provide, sort of a story of a fulfilling, watching of somebody else fulfillingly break through, you know, and for it was great for mm. them and you loved being witness to it. Mm. Yeah, that's sweet. So I'll, I'll see if I can share two stories that interweave. Let's see if they interweave. I don't know if they will. Oh. We'll see what happens. <laughs> so the, the first story that came to mind is a, a story of a, of a progressive-minded, like justice-driven, creative human being that was working in an advertising agency that super gifted designer and creative and strategist. And they were completely like self-minimizing their gifts and their talents, uh, under-leveraging all of their gifts and their talents and squandering their own capacity to lead um, mm -hmm. because of a belief that said they were too much and or too creative and or too excitable and or whatever. There's all types of paradigms and stories that said, I don't belong in this institution. And through the work that we did together, two things became possible. One, they actually related to their gifts and their identity and their quirks that didn't seem to be reflected around them as blessings for the company mm -hmm. and cultivated a courage to and a willing to take risks to make proposals to their leadership colleagues that had been unprecedented. And the business experienced all types of radical breakthroughs and innovations. And wow. oh, I'm not to mention that. talk about yeah. profit, but point point being like discovering voice when, when folks discover and cultivate, talk about conviction, right? A relationship with what mm -hmm. they have to offer and they're willing to contribute it to their people. Yeah, just like incredible things happen that the CEO never witnessed possible. Entire new lines of business were, mm. were started. They also eventually, after getting promoted, they quit <laughs> um, <laughs> and then pursued, <laughs> which happens sometimes, right? We yeah, also sure. get to retain our people. We could talk about how we retain talent. Um, yeah. <laughs> they, was out of my, I was out of my control. Um, they... they um, they, and they ended up pursuing a, a creative life, actually, of mm. um, uh, being a full-time uh, writer and facilitator and coach, um, interestingly. So the other story I wanted to mention that interweaves is, and the second story that came up is a, someone who was working with an environmental justice organization that happened to be an immigrant. They happened to be South Asian, just happened to be, and one of the stories, and queer, and one of the stories that they internalized um, was the only way, and one, one interweaving point here, which you may notice, mm. is revolves around belonging um, and mm. identity. So one paradigm or story, which is emotional, of course, one paradigm or story that they um, had is in order for me to be a part of the unit, in order for me to contribute to our mission, I need to code switch. Mm -hmm. And for those not familiar with that term, yeah. um, so a kind of assimilating to a culture around them where they literally transform their voice 
I guess, in a pattern here, another pattern of these two stories, both about voice. Yeah. They literally transform their voice distinct from their, I'll, I'll dare I say, like, quote unquote, or just sincere speaking voice. I was going to say normal. Default, yeah. Yeah, default. Uh, that was, quote unquote, American or a U.S.-based accent. And mm-hmm. through our work, it was amazing. In the middle of one of our coaching sessions, like they're in the midst of this breakthrough, realizing the old patterning that had happened yeah. that told them wow. in order for me to belong, I need to do this, right, to, to just fit in, which was tied with their sexual identity. Like there are a number of layers to it. Their voice literally shifted, literally in the midst mm. of the thing. And, and I'm just wow. like, and the, there you are. Oh, my goodness. Entirely <laughs> wow. different expressivity. Their embodied wow. gesticulation was just super. And I'm just like, whoa, like, who is this? And, and wow. here is the birth of a, I mean, we say mm. leadership is a practice, not a person. But I'll say in this conversation, yeah. here was the, the birth or renewal of a leader wow. Who, wow. who had so much to contribute. And um, mm. it was just a, a fluid presence of, of um, genius, um, maybe yeah. another pattern here, right, around belonging, voice, genius <laughs> um, yeah. for impact. Not to say that there was a switch and they never code switched ever again. I mean, sure. code switching is a survival skill we sometimes need, especially folks of color or their other marginalized identities know about this. But now they're conscious of it. They're aware of it. And um, as cliche as it is to talk about being authentic at work, um, I would say being sincere as a human and not withholding the genius that longs to flow through is so critical mm-hmm. for the success yeah. of our institutions and our and sometimes that involves recognizing how we wear certain masks, um, so to speak, to make ourselves feel safe, secure, or worthy. Talk mm-hmm. about armor for shells, right? Yeah, so right. those are a couple wow. stories that, that come to mind. And I hope Gosh, I did that. Those were beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing those yes. with us. It's Thanks for such, asking and receiving those. Yeah. We do such parallel work. One of the things that happens when you come to OnSite and take one of our workshops is sort of a I'm looking forward to doing our it. Hope. <laughs> we hope you do. Can't wait. It is, yes. it is sort of a remembering, which people have a breakthrough about, about who they actually are and going back to that and giving voice back to that. And the from the moment they arrive, we have an opening into the moment they leave and we have a closing just to watch their demeanor and their faces and their body posture reclaim who they really are is amazing. So I understand that experience of seeing that happen. And uh, you, you're you just a witness to it. You're not doing it. They are doing it. But it is amazing to be a part of that for sure. I love that. Yeah. Remembrance. Yeah. I mean, as, as a in, in the coaching world, you know, we often say that, um, you know, we talk about and we, we, our attitude is one where folks are whole and we're really supporting folks to discover what they already know. But the, the training maybe comes in when there's new skill and practice we want to cultivate. But yeah, we get to remember what we're already carrying, right? We, yeah. we, never, we never need to start from scratch. <laughs> mm, I love that. <laughs> even, even if new skills are required, which they often are, like, yeah. we're already carrying plenty of resource. Yeah. yeah. There's another amen. I want like another yeah. stamp. Um, <laughs> yes. Didier, do you, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us, if you feel this resonates, have you kind of been on a journey of belonging in your own story? Like, obvious, I don't think it would be surprising to me that you were in this 
work, work of this nature. It's, it's, it doesn't seem, it's not an accident. It's very clear. But I, w- I would just be curious to see if your own story kind of pointed you towards where you're currently sitting. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, thank you. Um, I believe everyone has a has a, has plenty of stories around this, and regardless of the social identities anyone carries across race, gender, sexual orientation, ability, like language, nation of war, what like we all um, it seems like part of being human is navigating the illusion of being the only one, <laughs> and and the illusion of isolation or the illusion of real experience of loneliness. Anyways, so. Yes, I have plenty of stories about my relationship with belonging and how it's evolved over time. Um, one example I'll give. So I grew up in Queens and my family in New York, and then my, my family moved to Westchester County, north of New York, which was a predominantly white uh, neighborhood that we lived in and schooling that I went to. And often I found myself over time always knowing that being the only black kid in the school made me unique, yet like that story I mentioned about the, that other person that I worked with, that coach partner I worked with, I wasn't necessarily conscious of how I saw my race as a liability. And so rather than a blessing, a you know, or, yeah. and so early on in my life, I learned that in order to be safe, I must protect the folks around me, which at the time were white folks. I must protect them from a perception of my difference or which might be threatening or something, um, which is a common form of internalized racial oppression, of course. And so one of the biggest gifts that I received was being exposed over time to vastly diverse learning communities, ethnically and racially, that expanded my sense of what it is, what, like, what it is to be human. My mom worked for the UN for many years, for like 30 years. She worked for UNDP, the UN Development Program, did quite a bit of traveling um, for her work. I spent a year in middle school with her in Ivory Coast, Abidjan in West Africa. And it was a school with folks from all over the world. It was an American run school taught in English. And I cultivated a sense of like having a global identity at that age. Then spending many years in New York City, going to high school in New York City at, a, at another international school, like that definitely shaped and deepened that sense of being part of a global identity. And I'd say part of my work my life's work is to to cultivate broadened, deepened senses of self, <laughs> not only with the planet, but with the cause that's greater than you. So I could see how my journey with belonging also feeds into my longing to expand people's, the way that they identify, right? Just beyond their own story to something larger than them, whether it's a larger people or community or a larger cause or mission. Yeah, that's, I'll, I'll pause there, but Thanks for that that question. Thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, I'm sure everyone has their own their own belonging stories. Yes, yeah, we all do. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like your mom was a great your mom and your dad, but your mom was a great influence on you. She was. If both you could of them. think of, yeah, both of them. What do you hope they know about you, or how you feel about them? What a sweet question. Yeah, you know, I I hope that. Um, more than they currently do, I hope my parents know that their idea of success as parents is like there's 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 no amount of evidence that can just prove to them or demonstrate how wildly successful they were 
just mm-hmm. as parents because of the way in which they relentlessly led with love, even if sometimes wow. it meant experiencing pain as a child, like which I experienced quite a bit. I, I want them to know and would want them to continually know that they set a beautiful model for what it means to to love your children and to love anyone, right, who you care for, right? So shout out to all the caregivers on the planet. Yes, that was absolutely beautiful. I have a uh, 21-year-old daughter, and I'm hoping she would say something similar, but I'm not Mm. convinced she would. So (laughs) thank you for sharing that. I'll find her. her. Give her time, Jan. Give her time. (laughs) No, Didier, I, I feel that from you. Like your parents, mm-hmm. just to experience you and, and receive your your wisdom, and so thanks to thanks to your parents for for doing the work. It oozes out of you. So just Thank wanted so to much. affirm really that in you. I, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, and and yeah. our work our work gets to be have multi generational consequence, right? Like, mm, yeah. yeah. I don't know about you all, but in most of the the so called personal development or wellness world, or they yeah. tend to be too personal. Like most personal development is too personal. I would say in that it's too individualistic yeah, and doesn't actually consider the communal, ancestral, yeah. multi-generational, like all these different mm. dimensions of our being that have shaped us and also that we shape yeah. and impact. So right. also yeah. grateful for the work that's happening in the world that invites people to be more effective in their yeah. leadership without a hyper-individualistic obsession. Mm. That reminds me just, and Janet, I know that you know this, but the work at OnSite, kind of some of the magic that that really happens, the transformational work is mostly happening in the context of community. It's happening in, in group work. And like, that's that's where the depth of that occurs. And I love the way you just articulated that. Like we are, we're also blessed for the diverse room, right? There's no need to fear the the things we don't understand, but rather if we tap into the beauty that is the other, like there's really so much, so much beauty and so much wisdom and so much gift that comes from new perspectives and new stories and different stories and different perspectives. And I love the way you, you just spelled that out for us. So thank you for what you're doing. As I think about sort of the future, right? We, we used to have problems, and then we figured out how to solve those problems, and then we got complex problems, and we figured out how to solve those problems. And, you know, <laughs> now we have wicked problems, and we don't know how to fix those problems. Uh, mm-hmm. And without sort of being willing to open up our lens and have that diversity, we're not going to solve those problems. So, mm-hmm. And once we, once we feel like we're getting there, I think one of the greatest skills, and and I'm sure that you experience this as well, is that ability to adapt. Mm. And if you're, because we don't know the answer, we're sensing what the answer is, we're moving, and we're experimenting, as you said, and we're trying, but that skill of being able to change your mindset to adapt quickly and frequently Mm. is, I think, the number one leadership skill that we're going to have to have moving forward. And mm. not everybody has that propensity, and that's okay, but enough mm. need to have it to move forward. Yeah, that's so critical. And maybe not only for our leadership, but for our survival, right? right. Adapter, adapter, yeah. adapter or, or perish, right? Um, yeah. So many, I don't know if you all have noticed this, in so many organizations and institutions I work with, like people, so many companies waste so much money by tackling 
the wrong problem <laughs> because they haven't mm-hmm. actually fully assessed or, or we mistake some of our challenges as being like a certain technical issue that we just need to throw money at, but actually we're not. It's actually required. What's required mm-hmm. is actually you adapting your mode of being and how you're how you're operating. Yeah. Um, right. Not yeah. like so yeah, that that's really critical and so many skill sets embedded in that. Mm-hmm. So our environments are constantly changing, constantly volatile, yeah. right? Yeah. Say we, we're leading yeah. through VUCA environments. We gotta, we gotta be able to adapt right. through change Meets nonstop. Right. Yeah. yeah. Didier, as we wrap this conversation, we one of the questions we love to ask our guests is, "What is a centering practice that's kind of bringing you home to yourself?" I would love to hear kind of what is making you feel like your feet are on the ground, even in the midst of changing times, ever-changing, ever-evolving times? Yeah, thank you for that. So I'm a huge advocate and fan and student of Qigong in the universe of Chinese medicine. I love the the practice of movement meditation, and it definitely keeps me grounded. It keeps me guided, I'm just consciously moving, doing different movements um, slowly with conscious relationship to energy. It really helps my own vitality. It helps with my sleep. It keeps my joints and ligaments loose, um, mm. but also helps me feel like my, my feet are on the ground and, um, yeah. and that there's there's a beacon continually guiding me. So Qigong uh, has supported me in huge ways and it continues to. It's amazing. I also happen Thanks to be a musician and so making music oh, is supportive. Yeah. So. Yes. I was going to say, I want to uh-huh. ask about the EP. Yes. I listened to it. Oh, you did? Oh, amazing. Oh, I'm honored. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed I it. I did. I loved it. Oh, I, loved I can't. It. I can't wait. Can't wait I to loved hear it. that. Didier, I'm going to tell you that your presence, just mm. your presence, is healing and calming. Mm. What a gift to spend time yeah. with you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for so being much. Here. That's very. That's um. That means a lot to me. Thank you for that. Mm. I really appreciate that. And I really enjoyed this conversation. It's been really expansive and dynamic and energizing and life-giving. So mm-hmm. thank me you. Me too. I want to continue it. We need to, I we know. Need to have, maybe we need we'll have, have a part two. Supper. That's I'm right. Yeah. Or a meal, right? <laughs> I'm like, maybe a part two, maybe a meal. Didier, is there anything you'd want to share with our guests? You have these beautiful card decks. I know a coherence mm-hmm. deck and a genius deck. Would you like to share about those with yeah. our listeners? Yeah. Look at Nicole. You just, you just, just lifting up the people. You're just lifting up the. the Why not? The we got the time. Let's do it. No, it's really yeah. I appreciate it. Yes, and so yeah. I'm. I'm a big believer. Talking earlier about people being fully resourced and whole, and we get to support people to be aware of what they already carry. One of the ways that we get to do that is to use the technology of questions. Um, and so I made these card decks, which all contain different questions and prompts to invite folks to uh, remember, as you all put it, and mm-hmm. discover. And renew, right? Who they are, what they're about, what they stand for. The coherence discovery edition are questions meant to awaken a sense of who one is, where they are, where they're headed. The genius deck is really around our creativity. Um, they're different prompts to activate our creativity and the creativity that longs to flow through. Um, so yeah, one's around self-discovery, the others are on creativity and innovation, and they're both supportive tools. I want to share more tools with the world, mm-hmm. love coaching, training, facilitation, being with people. And sometimes it's not always possible for folks. So one way we can make this type of work, this transformative work accessible is by offering tools. So yeah, those decks um, are out there in the world. And, uh, and, and I do my best to share other prompts and tools and tips on my mm-hmm. social media, you know, when I can. 
So that's out there too. And I think last thing, do you have a free monthly lab, like a life alignment lab? Are you doing, are you still doing that? I am. I am. I, I took okay. A, I took, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I took a, yeah. Um, I took a pause for about a month and a half or so Okay. just to take a step back and recalibrate and create another free Great. monthly offering. So awesome. um, the Life Alignment Lab is coming back next month and that's just a weekly opportunity to receive new tools, prompts, frameworks mm-hmm. to come into greater integrity with the truth of who we are, to, to live a life that is aligned with our visions and yeah, it's a 60 minute free webinar that folks can Beautiful. find on my website. Um, Unleashing Your Leadership is a new webinar that I'll be leading monthly that's also free, that's specifically oriented around how we lead others. Life Alignment Lab is around how we lead ourselves. Unleashing right. Your Leadership is how we lead others, really. So those are two free monthly webinar spaces that hopefully can be generative for folks. Beautiful. Thank you, Didier, Thank you. for being here with us. Where is Thank your you. Thank presence? you. Is a gift, just as Janet said. You. You're you're such a I gift. I had so yeah. much fun. I had a blast. I had a blast. What a rich conversation. I'm so glad. Yes. Hopefully, whoever listens, you found it generative. So, thank you. Mm. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.